Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed. I will be your host today and every week where we talk about breastfeeding and beyond and where I hope to bust the myths and clarify the facts. And most certainly this week, it's going to be clarifying the facts about something that you might not have thought too much about. And that is about what happens and how to respond to it when a baby dies. Many people think that just because a woman has lost a baby, that she is not going to have her breasts fill up with milk. But that's actually not true. Now, certainly, if it's a very early loss, that is different. But I'm hesitant to put a number on it. But somewhere in the neighborhood of about 18 weeks or so, if a baby is lost at that point in gestation, it is highly likely that the mother's milk will fill up, breasts will fill up with milk, and she will feel as though, uh, well, she is lactating because that's just the way it is. And with me today is Amy Wright Glenn. And Amy and I are going to talk about some practical implications here. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Marie. It's a real honor to be with you. Thank you. Amy Wright Glenn earned her master's degree in religion and education from Teachers College, Columbia University. She taught for 11 years in the religion and philosophy department at the Lawrenceville School in New Jersey, earning the earning the Dunbar Abston Jr. Chair for Teaching Excellence. She is a yoga teacher, birthing mama, prenatal yoga and wellness teacher trainer, a donor, birth doula, hospital chaplain, and founder of the Institute for the Study of Birth, Breath, and Death. Amy is a regular contributor to Philly Voice, an author of Birth, Breath, and Death, Meditations on Motherhood, Chaplaincy, and Life as a Doula. She is also the author of Holding Space on Loving, Dying, and Letting Go. Amy, I wanted you to come on the show because, again, I go back to the fact that just because a woman has lost a baby doesn't mean that she won't lactate. And I have had more than my share, I suppose, of interaction with parents who have lost babies. Uh, We tend to call them stillbirth if they're at, well, closer to term. There's a lot of technical jargon around that. But anyway, and we tend to call them miscarriages if it's very early. But in any event, Uh, It is the loss of that parent's baby. And I have certainly worked with these parents. I've held their babies. I have gone through all of that, uh, either 
by working on a high-risk antepartum unit, which I did when I was at Georgetown University Hospital or um, in labor and delivery. And yet, I got to tell you that what really just hit me between the eyes was I gave a talk downtown in Washington, D.C. one day. I think it was for Lamaze or, I don't know, one of one of those uh, organizations. And because parking is always so terrible downtown, my husband said to me, well, how about I just drop you off and then I'll pick you up? I said, okay. So he picked me up and I got in the car and he said how to go. And I said, well, okay. And he looked at me and he said, Kathy just lost her baby. Mm. And I was stunned. Kathy is my favorite cousin. She's a pediatrician, and her baby was at term. I've never felt so helpless. I felt like I didn't know what to do next. I, I didn't know if I should call her, wait for her to call me, apologize that I had been gone when she did call. I really felt just like at a standstill. I just did not know what to do first and what would be appropriate to do. So can you talk to us a little bit about whether we're all going to encounter death and many of us are going to encounter the death of a child either because we're a professional or because we're a friend or a relative or a neighbor or whatever. Talk to us a little bit, please, about what's our role? How can we be helpful? Well, first, let me respond to that story and thank you for sharing it. It takes courage to share the stories that really do shake us to our core. And as professionals, I think we we manage well enough when we are working with families that we love and care for, and yet they're not in our most inner circle. And when death does walk into our most inner circle and touch the people we've known for decades and we've loved since childhood, it can shock even our own systems. And that's true for chaplains and doctors and you know, all of us involved in the caregiving profession when death walks into the doorway of our own home. Mm-hmm. It can be yeah a very different experience than it is in our professional world. So I appreciate you sharing that story. And part of the way I want to respond to it is by telling the story of a woman named Amy Anderson who contacted me and I interviewed her for a piece that I wrote for Philly Voice a few years ago. And Amy Anderson lives near Canada. She's up in Maine. She's in a small town called Caribou, Maine. And she... Her, uh, her, she was pregnant in 2010, lost her son Bryson at 20 weeks, mm. and he died from lower urinary tract obstruction. And when that happened, her doctor said to her, you, you won't lactate, don't worry, and if the milk comes in, just take a few Sudafeds, bind your breasts, you know, and, and there, that was the directive. It was um, certainly given, I'm sure, with kindness, but it was, there wasn't an option presented otherwise. And when her milk did come through and she was surprised, she had an instinct, an intuition to pump. And she had had a living child beforehand and had breastfed that older son. So she remembered the experience of breastfeeding and she knew how to pump and she felt a strong intuitive sense to pump. And this occurred, the death of Bryson occurred 
at the end of October, so right before the holidays. You know, now we're entering December. Mm-hmm. And she said those were just hellish holidays, so hard. No one in her family dared talk about Bryson. But that's what she needed most. Absolutely. She said, I needed, it. I needed to have family talk to me about this. But it was a silence. And the one place she found comfort was in an expressing milk. And she was able online to find an organization called the Mother's Milk Bank Northeast. Yes. And set up a, com- a connection to them where she would send her milk to this organization. And over the course of, I think it was eight months, she ended up donating 92 gallons of Bryson's milk. It's, it's incredible. It's an incredible story. <laughs> Whoa. It's an incredible story, Marie. And I share that because it in two ways connects to what you've shared already. One is that women do lactate after death and after really? the loss of their baby and need to be presented with informed and compassionate options you know and then the second piece is that her family didn't know what to say so they said nothing and we can say something we can say something like I don't know what to say but my heart is breaking right now when I think about what happened let me just sit by you you're not alone that's really good yeah I I never feel bad to tell people that I don't know what to say or I I or actually, I guess maybe a word that I use is, I don't know what would be helpful for you. Mm. Um, I feel, well, you know, as a nurse, helping is probably why you went into this business and all of a sudden you realize that that you would be helpful except you don't know how to be helpful and everybody's cultural stuff is different. And before we go on, for listeners out there, I would just like to say that her doctor... I'm sure he meant well, but he gave totally bad advice. Number one is at 20 weeks, I would my I I would immediately be thinking, yes, of course her milk is going to come in. So he really just plain didn't know that. And the second thing is that binding your breasts is about the worst thing that you can possibly do because then what you can do is sort of squash the breast tissue, and in doing so, you plug the milk ducts. And then you can have what's called a plug duct, caked duct, blocked duct, uh, probably a few other names for that, which can lead to mastitis. So then the mother can have another whole problem, which is an infection of the breast, which I'm sure is the very last thing she uh, wants at this point. Amy, help us a little bit with how did you come into this work? Well, I... When you read the introduction, I have a background in the study of religion, and I have a background in the work of being a birth doula. And then I also trained as a hospital chaplain at the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital System in New Jersey. Uh So being with birth and death and then studying different systems of meaning, that has been very helpful for me to feel called to these intersections where birth and death connect, where people are born after they've died, in the case of a stillbirth. Or families may have be may be anticipating fetal demise. Perhaps the child has been given a diagnosis such that fetal demise is, you know, very very likely. So to be a doula for those families is where I feel my heart really opens because it b- draws upon my skill set as a birth doula and my skill set as a chaplain, where birth and death intersect. And then I love writing. I love words. I love thinking and philosophy. So when I wrote my second book. I devoted two chapters to pregnancy loss and infant death and reflecting on what does it mean to hold space and companion families through these difficult times. 
talk to us about holding space. I can say a few words now, and then we can go into it later as well. I, sure. I believe, I believe holding space is a term that's synonymous for something like compassionate listening mm. or gentle presence or a brave presence. Sometimes it takes an incredible amount of bravery to sit with someone who's going through something very, very ugly and hard. So without trying to fix, without trying to fix it, it's really the courage to sit next to someone in their struggle and say, I witness this for you. You're not alone. I'm holding you in my heart as you go through this hell of anger, sadness, fear, rage, grief, sorrow, I hold it. I witness it. I, I see you in it. And you're not alone. Amy, I think that's so important. And maybe a term that I have, I never thought about the term that I've used, but I guess as I hear you speaking, it occurs to me that I think of this as being present. And I will have to admit that I often fight myself because I want to fix it. And yet I know that fixing it isn't possible in many cases. And even if it were possible, it's really not very useful. So that's hugely, hugely insightful. Uh, Folks, don't go away because when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask Amy to talk uh, more about how we can actually be helpful to these people with, uh, and she's already said that we need to hold that space and we need to be, be able to sometimes just admit that we don't know what to say or what to do. But in fact, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what is helpful, what is not helpful. Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I am here today with Amy Wright Glenn. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff 
or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host. My guest today is Amy Wright Glenn. Amy, you talked to us about the case of Amy Anderson, and you said that basically she was just told, oh, go home, you know, be done with it. And she had an intuitive understanding that she should pump her milk uh, as I recall the story, though, she actually knew that that would cause her to make more milk, but she was okay with that. The question I would have is, uh, do you think that anyone anywhere gave her information about the idea that she might want to donate the milk? It sounds like she kind of figured this out on her own. And by the way, the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, for those of you who are listening, I tend to call it the Humbana, the H-M-B-A-N-A. There are multiple, multiple milk banks around the United States. You don't have to be near to one. I mean, it's handy if you are, but you can donate uh, milk to the Human Milk Banking Association of North America without, you don't have to be in the same community. So was it your understanding that no one offered her that option? Yes, when I interviewed Amy, from from my memory and the way I wrote this story, based on her information, she discovered it online. She said, I live in a small town in northern Maine, and I, I've had this intuition to pump, and having been a breastfeeding mother, she knew it would, that positive feedback loop, her body would create more milk. It right. just felt so right, and she ended up calling the milk she was pumping Bryson's milk, oh. and then she found online the existence of this milk bank. And because her son was born preterm, her milk was so nutrient dense that when they received her milk over those course of you know eight months as she donated the milk, uh, they didn't mix it. They they often will mix right. milk and they didn't. And it was given to preterm babies. And in the interview, she describes how important um, human milk is. It's like uh, a, almost like a medical intervention that's just as important as nutrition or a ventilator that it can really be a determining factor in the health and life, you know, the life promotion of little ones who are born so early. So she came to see her son's death as something that 
something good came out of the death, that the meaning of his life was somehow linked to the fact that she was helping save other lives. Now, not all mothers respond to the lactation after loss in this way. Sure. It's really important to notice. And and yet she wasn't even given the option. She just had this intuition and then thank God for the internet. She did some reading and research, an advocate for herself. And and I will add that she's an advocate also for other mothers who choose to lactate after loss because the break time for nursing mothers law that does mandate employers give space for women to pump specifically says in the way the law is written for a living child. And so her employer at the time said, this federal law does not apply to you. You can't take breaks to pump. Even knowing her son had died, even knowing that she was in a state of like making sense of that grief, her employer said, the law doesn't apply to you. Your child's dead. And this was such a shock to her system that she has now felt really inspired to do more advocacy, to, to change the letter of that law so other employers can't be so hard-hearted to mothers. I mean, it's such a hard, it's hard to imagine someone being so hard-hearted, but she did encounter that. And, and yet when I wrote that story, I should say that that story was one of the top 10 stories that was written and read for Philly Voice all year that year. No doubt. And, I, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people read it. I received many, many emails. And one email came from a nurse who runs a support group for pregnancy loss at her hospital. And she said, I never mentioned lactation after loss. I just don't. And I'm so glad now I have this article. I'm going to photocopy it and I'll pass it out. I want people to know it's an option. And when women know it's an option, they can make informed choices. And when it's presented in a caring way where you can really listen to the complex feelings that might come up, and, and give mothers space to sort it through, uh, at least women can know it's an option. Not everyone chooses it. And I will say there's a wonderful book that's a very searing and difficult memoir to read about a stillbirth by a professor in Iowa. Her name is Elizabeth Heinemann, and the book is called Ghost Belly. And she describes in her book how the idea of, of lactating after the death of her son was really almost repulsive. It was like, I don't even want my breasts to make one drop. It's a, it was such a, a severe and painful reminder of the absence of Thor, her son, that the, it felt like her body was rebelling against her need to step away from memories that would inspire a, a deeper hope that he was still living. She already was in such anguish. So she would not be someone who found peace in pumping. Whereas Amy Anderson felt, you know, this is why my son was born and died. This was the meaning of his life. She came to interpret it you know, as Bryson's milk. We all assign different meanings to different, ex- to, to the, uh, a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And clearly, uh, no, not everyone is going to react in the same way. Amy, there are a couple of really important things that jump out at me here. One is that um, we did a show, I want to say a couple of years ago, we did two shows about donor milk banking. Both were with Kim Updegrove, who is the executive director of the Milk Bank in Austin, Texas. Those were two excellent episodes on Born to be Breastfed. And she she really characterized that preterm milk as literally the difference between life and death. Mm. And so in the case of somebody like Amy Anderson, she feels as though she is working through her own grief. She's 
processing that in a way that makes sense to her and she's feeling like this happened I presume that she's feeling like this happened for a reason I think that women need to know their options whether it's about pumping for a live baby or a dead baby or anything else people need to know what their options are in any given situation but here's where I'm kind of stuck when I see a baby who is hanging between life and death it seems to me that mothers really struggle with, should I start breastfeeding? Should I start pumping? Because all of this may go away in a couple of days. And then, they, in other words, they feel very conflicted between what I see as the bonding process and the grieving process. So if I am the nurse, the doula, the whatever else I might be, how can I present the option of donating your milk Without making it sound as though I'm, I don't know, how, how do I not sound awkward here? <laughs> okay, so this is an excellent question. And the truth is when we work with spaces of death and threshold points full of energies of sorrow, there will be awkward moments, even for the most skilled of us. I just think this is part of holding space for ourselves too. No one does it perfectly. And when we hold space... It means that we allow people the right to come to their own meaning making, right? So I hold space with compassion for a mother's journey. It doesn't mean I impose my meaning on her and say, well, you know, this happened for a reason. Now you can give milk to people who, you know, babies who need it. That would be so inappropriate. That's her journey to decide if she's going to believe that. Now, Elizabeth Hyman, going back to Ghostbelly, it, she, her reaction to the milk may have sounded really harsh, and it was. When you read her memoir, that section, she's angry, she's harsh about her milk. But the most tender parts of that book have to do with the six hours she spent in the hospital with her son. Uh-huh. You know, he had died in labor, and the hospital staff said, well, you have 45 minutes with him. And, and you know, as a professor, as a scholar, as an older mom, she, she had a voice of... Um, inquisitive critique. She's like, why do I only have 45 minutes? With that's just goofy. You know, when, yep. does, when does the morgue pick him up? Oh, it's six in the morning. Well, that's, you know, eight hours away. You know, he's staying with me. And she advocated for herself in that situation. And, and she writes in the book that those six hours were not spent grieving. She said, I have the, my whole life to grieve his loss. But right now I need to say hello. Right now I need to say hello to him. I need to know him. She sang to him. She touched him. She kissed him. They read stories. It was such, it's such a moving part of the book. And, and I would suggest to all readers or listeners here to read Ghost Belly. It's an incredible book. And, and so when you talk about bonding and grieving, those two things aren't like separate rooms in a house. There's doorways that link them. The wind blows through both. People mm-hmm. go through both even in one minute. We do that in our normal life. You know, I have just gone through a a hard divorce recently and and there's a bonding and grieving there you know the memories of the good and then the sorrow of the loss and and I think for women who have and, and men and all of us who have experienced the ending of chapters of our lives or the loss of loved ones the bonding and grieving will go on even years later the memories of the connection and then the the sorrow of the loss so when a mother's wondering should I pump or should I breastfeed I might only have a few days it might be helpful to hold space for both emotions to say, you know, your bonding and grieving go hand in hand. And, mm. and this is a way to say hello before you need to say goodbye. Oh, I love that. So that might be a helpful way. And to say this is a hard conversation. It can be just starting it. 
I want to talk to you about breast milk and what, what's going to happen to your body and the choices you have. And this is a hard conversation. There's a lot of emotion here. So let's make space for that. Let's take a few breaths first before we talk. Just some way to honor it. I loved your analogy about they are not necessarily two rooms in the same house. They definitely have a doorway between them. I To me, that just... I was kind of visualizing that as you were talking and I was thinking, oh, that is just so right. And I like the idea of just acknowledging this is a hard conversation, but I want you to be aware of what the options are and being able to choose from those options. I I, I really, I like that, Amy. You did not mention, and we've only got a, a short space of time here left, but I was hoping that in the book, Elizabeth would have said that she held the baby skin to skin. Now, I have not read the book, but I am thinking of a couple who knew that their baby was going to die shortly after death. And the doctors had told the family that they would uh, lose the baby within an hour or two. Well, the baby was never put down in the crib at all. The parents held him skin to skin. One parent and then the other, one parent and then the other. And by the way, this baby lived for a week. Mm. And I have to ask myself, did that saying hello with the skin-to-skin contact, is that what helped that baby to get his own need met? Oh, this is pretty powerful stuff, you guys. Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I will be right back with Amy Wright-Glenn. Don't go away. Be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report. 
so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Amy Wright-Glenn. Amy, you have talked about the role of what we do, what we don't do as professionals, as friends, family, neighbor, whatever. And one of the words that you've used is companioning. I'm kind of big on the etymology of of words and anybody who's ever taken one of my courses knows that I break everything down into the etymology of words. So I want to know where does the word companioning come from and how does it fit into our role in helping these parents who have had a loss? So Alan Wolfelt is the director and founder of the Center for Loss and Life Transition in Colorado. And he's the one who has really termed use that term companioning in his work. And and I, I love it. He's a very thoughtful pioneer when it comes to how medical professionals and counselors work with grief and the energies of grief. Now, Wolfelt takes that word down and he breaks it apart, you know, and the word pan, which is bread, companioning. He says companioning is an approach that is very much like a fellowship approach. Sit at the common table Break the bread of fellowship. Break the bread of friendship, of connection. It's not an expert coming into a room and saying, I'm the expert. Let's treat your grief. Let's fix that grief. Let's get you back to normal. He said that model, that managed care model of managing grief, does a disservice to the human spirit and to the human experience because mortality is absolutely a fact of life. Whether we die when 20 weeks old or 20 years old or 120 years old, we are mortal. And our mortality inspires the natural and healthy response of grief when we love each other. And so grief is not an illness. It's not something that needs to be treated as such. It's something then, let's get someone through grief real quick so they can go back to their normal life. Wilfell argues we don't return to a normal life. Grief inevitably changes us. And it can be a growth-oriented process. It doesn't have to be only devastation. Yet, the journey through that to growth will often feel devastating at points. So companioning is a very different approach. It's not the expert walking in and saying, I'm here to treat your grief. It's saying, I'm a human being too. Mm. And I live mortal experience too. And I've known death too. And I will know death. 
and I myself will die. Yeah. And given all of that, and given the fact we love along the way, grief is normal. Grief is a normal and healthy part of human love. And given our, fa- given our mortality, given the fact that we die. So companioning is an approach that takes down the hierarchy and says stand side by side and walk alongside a friend or lover or child or you know, your uh, client or patient who is in the throes of grief and stand with compassion and interest in listening and not that expert tell me, let me tell you about grief, but more tell me about your story. Let me listen. Let me hold space. Let me not try to give you the meaning I think will solve your problem, but let me give you options, of course, and hold space as you sort through them. So companioning is so essential, and there's so much that's been written about it through Alan Wolfelt's Institute and a book that is specific to perinatal loss, was written by two nurses who studied with him, Jane Hustis and Marcia Jenkins. Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. And they made a book called Companioning at a Time of Perinatal Loss. And they attribute their approach to Wolfell and their study with Wolfell. And this is an excellent book. And when I teach trainings on pregnancy loss for professionals, which I do in person and then online twice a year, this book is an essential part of what I read and what we discuss. I also have participants in the online training read Ghost Belly because Absolutely. this is such an incredibly me- incredible memoir of a stillbirth. So I can say more, but let me pause and see if you have questions. I hope that's helpful to at least give a context. What is companioning? Well, Amy, there's two things that jump out at me here as I heard you talking, and that is that you present grief as... It, it is not something that you need to get through and, and like pretend it never happened after you're done with it. It doesn't go in a box and you don't just throw it away and, and get yourself done. And what I gleaned from that actually was what parents have asked me, of course, with, with living babies. When is life going to get back to normal? And I have a standard response for that. Never. Life is never going to get back to normal the way you knew it. There will be a new normal now that you're the parent of a baby. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that kind of jumped out at me was that uh, as with all losses, we all have losses. We've lost a, a job. We've lost our keys. We've lost whatever. We really have to take a step back and say, how can I make a good thing out of this or a helpful thing or a learning thing or whatever, but to fixing it, I guess, is not useful. And I would also say that sometimes I feel that since I don't have a PhD in counseling, I'm not qualified. And your description of this companioning, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I can do that. I I can do that. Amy, in a very practical way, can you list for us, please, what are some really awful things that you would not say to a grieving mother? The question of what's helpful and what's not in a practical sense is the second component of the teaching I like to do. You know, the first piece is companioning, and the second piece is how do you build healthy support networks? One. Oh, one good article that you could reference, it's online, it was published in the LA Times by a psychologist named Susan Silk. 
she writes about the ring theory, and the article is entitled How Not to Say the Wrong Thing. And one of her theories, so if you imagine a concentric circle of rings, and the center point, the epicenter, is the believed uh, mother, and then around her are, you know, the immediate family members, the partner or husband, the children, if they are siblings, and then the extended family on and on, friends, close friends, their church or mosque or synagogue communities, the ripple effect of that child's death goes out and it touches many and and everyone will feel something about it and so her ring theory is we can dump out so we can turn to the circle behind us that's holding space for us and process all the confusing emotions that are there the sorrow the grief the anger why did this happen you know that type of thing we can dump out but we should comfort in we don't need to dump in no one should be dumping into the mom so yeah. the things that happen that that are hurtful and and they sometimes are said in with good intention is we tend to dump our meaning into the mom. It's scary when a baby dies. It's, it's like very scary. It goes against our sense of a normal human life cycle. When mm-hmm. someone dies at 20 weeks or at two hours or not 20 supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen. So we tend to impose a lot of our meaning onto the mom. We dump our meaning like, oh, well, God must have good plans for you. Or uh, I am, I, I believe in reincarnation. That baby's going to come back to you. Or, you know, you can just imagine the type of meaning making that we want to give her. Like, oh, this helps me understand it, so let me dump it onto you. Well, we should be no. turning to the people behind us to say, let me sort this out with you because you hold space for me. Let me just comfort in. I'm going to comfort in. In other words, I'll bring soup. I'm going to plant a tree in the memory of that baby. I'll text her okay. every Friday and say, I'm just remembering Abraham tonight, thinking of you. Because what happens to a lot of moms is people get so afraid to say anything they say nothing right. but we can comfort you by saying I'm thinking of your child or I you know I dedicated um, a donation in the name of your child or let, here, let me send you a Christmas ornament with your child's name on it those are comforting things they're, they're not meaning making you're not dumping meaning and if, of course if the mother chooses not to receive them or doesn't want them she has her voice and she can feel empowered to say I don't want any gifts but the comforting is what should go into the people in the center and then dumping out goes to the people who hold space for us. So as a doula, when I'm at a hard birth, and let's say I see a four degree tear and there's lots of blood and it's a hard labor and it's a hard birth, it's a hard visual, I'm not going to process that with the mom. I'll listen to her process that with me. That if I have fears that come up from that, I need to turn to my doula companions, my support team, so I can process what happened in me with those who hold space for me. Absolutely. And as I hear you talking, I'm thinking of the many parents and babies that I've interacted with. And I hear you talking and I, I'm, I'm like having this playback in my head of specific families, specific situations and wanting to support them, but feeling a little bit uh, wrung out myself and yet knowing that I had I had to do my job. I had to be functional. And Amy, in the minute or so that we have left, could you address this? I have seen some people who say, oh, well, I know I lost a baby, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I, I just want to put a muzzle over their mouth. And I I think it's important to help people know that you make the connection. But to me, more than half a sentence is kind of too much. Can, can you address this a little bit? 
Well, if it's a close friend versus someone at church, I think that's a difference. And I think perhaps it can be said, I, I'm here for you. I want to listen to you. And then perhaps after you listen for a while, say, something like this happened to me once. And if you're ever interested to know my story, I, I'm happy to share. So give her the chance to say, you know, I, I do want to hear. Or no, you know, it would overwhelm me to hear that story right now. I don't want to. I'm so in my own. I can't take on another story. So give the mom or the family the option of saying, yeah, I'm interested. Or, you know, no, I'm not interested right now. Please don't share it. Yeah, I think that's important because sometimes people need to know that you've been there and that you can relate on that level. But just dumping, actually your word dump was what made me think of it. Dumping your story onto somebody when they've got their own stuff is not helpful. They're not there to help you. You are there to help them. And I like what you said because I think that it never occurred to me that the sequence was important to really let them take the reign with talking and then give an, oh, by the way, I've had a similar experience. If it would be helpful, I can share that with you sometime when you're ready for it, something like that. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Amy Wright Glenn. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan? While his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Amy Wright-Glenn. Amy, we talked about different mothers with different experiences, assigning different meanings and so forth. And I know that I alluded to mothers becoming engorged. And I just want to say that as we talk about options, I've talked about engorgement on the show. As a matter of fact, newcomers to the show should know that we have over 200 episodes now that can be downloaded. So there's there's plenty of stuff here. But I I don't want to leave this show today without helping mothers to realize that there are a number of ways that they can relieve their engorgement and and feel better physically. But along those same lines, I want to talk about the woman who has what seems to me like a different kind of loss. She has breastfed a baby for however many, and a live baby, for X amount of weeks, months, maybe years, and it seems to me that there is just a huge sadness or a sense of loss around weaning the baby, those last uh, last experiences with breastfeeding a baby. You yourself wrote an article that I think you titled The Last Drop. Tell us a little bit about this as a loss experience. I can speak from my own experience. When when my son, who was four and a half, weaned, there was a sense of melancholy, mm-hmm. a, a different than the grief I had known in pregnancy loss. I've had miscarriages, and that type of grief is a, a very searing and, and distinct type of loss. But this was a melancholy of chapter ending, that, he's, that my bond to him will be strong and will continue, but the chapter of my body lactating is ending, and, and I don't have another child, and I most likely won't be pregnant again. So I, it was at the end of that chapter in my life as well as his, and it was bittersweet. And one way we worked through that was to lift up both the bitter and the sweet and hold both with sacred space and have a celebration. We had a, a ceremony and we invited a lot of moms and their kids and, and you know, friends we know who also had long journeys of breastfeeding, many of them, I should say. And we toasted with almond milk and people brought presents for him and it was a very tender ceremony as a way to honor that threshold crossing. And I bring that up because rituals that we create or rituals that exist in our mosque or church or synagogue or community can be very healing and bring some balm to, to the journey of loss, whether it's a chapter in our lives or it's the actual death of, a, of an infant. So when families go through loss, we think about breast milk as a symbol of that very physiological and deep bond of love between mother and child, 
the milk itself can be integrated into some type of ceremony. So I, for instance, have a friend who, who lost a baby, her child died, and it was very um, young, and they did a funeral, out, and the baby was buried in the backyard, and, and some drops of her breast milk she then expressed and had poured at the base of the tree where the child was buried. And it's symbolic of nourishing the child still. You know, the baby's dead, and there's this great sadness, great sadness. And there's also this beautiful substance that her body makes that would have kept that baby alive and is so nourishing that our best scientists can't even replicate. And this milk was then poured at the location of the baby's burial as a symbol to say, I give this precious substance to this tree and to this plot of land that's holy now as symbolic of my connection to you. So to have symbols and rituals and stories and ways that we can work with art and music and dance and uh, physical things like fire or milk or a party where families gather and you tell stories and drink a toast of almond milk to the end of a weaning journey and breastfeeding journey, I believe that those can be very healing. So this this hour I've spent with you, we've talked about hard things, painful things, and those listeners listening may be triggered with their own memories of loss or close sisters or friends who've had babies be born still or infants die or perhaps miscarriages in your own lives. Nonetheless, it doesn't have to be a depressing hour. There can be a lot of good and insight that can come through this conversation. Amy, I'm thinking too of mothers who have just taken the milk and put it in the freezer and not because they're going to give it to anybody else, but just because that that, that is a memento, I suppose, kind of like a lock of hair, only it's, it's their milk. It is their connection. And if you kind of think about it, the baby has been nourished through the umbilical cord and then he is nourished through the milk and the mother is in both of those situations. And I think it is good to have, as you say, these these chapters of our lives closed with some sort of a ritual or a ceremony or a celebration, whatever feels right for people. Um, I would totally agree. Amy, we've got a very short space of time here. Can you tell us a little bit about what your final thought might be on how does, what, what can you and I and everyone listening, what can we do better tomorrow if we meet somebody who has had the loss of a baby? What can we do better? We can companion and we can ask questions. And even the simple statement, tell me more can mean so much to a mom. You know, often a lot of moms that I know who have had babies die will have a picture on their cell phone of yep. their child, but they don't show it much, and people don't ask. And we can be the person who asks. So we sit next to someone on the train, and the conversation comes up. You're, oh, I'm a lactating, lactation consultant or work with the you know babies, and maybe the mom feels safe and says, you know, I, I lost a baby at 25 weeks or I was stillborn. And you can say, do you have a picture? Do you have something you want to say about that? I'd love to hear the story. Tell me more. We cannot shy away. We can choose to enter into that hard room of, you know, like I said, the doorways between bonding and grieving are open in our lives. They aren't sealed shut. And ideally, they aren't sealed shut, I should say, that it's healthy to have both. It's healthy to have the air of life move through all the rooms of our house. And so we can be fearless and say, I'll, I'll walk into that room with you. I'm not afraid. 
to walk into that room with you. And in the trainings I do, you know, I teach, like I said, um, online trainings for, for holding space for pregnancy loss. And then I travel about once a month and speak at different birth centers or midwifery colleges and teach these trainings. I, I really want people to befriend their fear. We are, we have a lot of fear around death. Our culture is pretty death phobic and we don't die at home very much anymore. And we, we don't dress the bodies of our dead anymore. We don't, we don't care for the bodies of our dead. We don't. We we have um, we have created institutions and organizations that wash the bodies of our mothers and fathers. We don't do it ourselves anymore. And I think that distance is is filled with too much fear. And we would do ourselves a service as a culture to become more friendly with conversations around death, whether it's pregnancy loss or the death of our elders. When. Uh- Sandra Reich was on the show. She is a psychotherapist. One thing that she said repeatedly during that show was to walk towards your fears. And I think that uh, is such really good advice. Amy, we have less than a minute left. Where can we find you and how can we sign up for your course? Well, you can find me online. I have a website called birthbreathanddeath.com. You can purchase my second book that just came out. It was a number one new release in its field on grief and bereavement last week on Amazon. It's called Holding Space. And two chapters are on pregnancy loss in that book. And then if you do want to sign up for the training, everyone is welcome. You don't have to be a professional working with expectant couples. You can be yourself uh, an individual just interested in the subject or perhaps a bereaved parent who wants to unpack your own journey more and I teach it in January and July so the January training is open now registration is open so you can go to my website and email me and it's a sliding scale tuition so I have a fee that I charge but I welcome anyone and people can pay what they can can pay thank you so much Amy Wright Glenn I'm Marie Biancuto come back next week for another episode of born to be breastfed remember your baby was born to be breastfed have a great week Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.